Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. We are back with our mental health counselor and friend, Catherine Zitterbart, joining us live today, again from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Well, I, I think she's home, right? Are you home? I am in the place that I live, yes. Oh, wait, because some people may be on vacation, no, I, should, is, I gotta ask. You might see me in an office. It looks home-like. This, this is the, this is the, the somatic chill zone of my apartment that we're in. Well, I think it's beautiful. And I'm excited, by the way, she's live on the podcast and the Zoomcast, so I get to see her face-to-face today. Would you mind introducing yourself to everyone to start, Catherine? I'm happy to. Or do I'm I call you Katie? Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, Katie Zitterbart. And if you look for me online, uh, you can either do that or K-A-Y-T-E-E-Z-E-E, Katie Z. And um, I am a human (laughs) who uh, currently is um, working through the lens of consent and trauma, being trauma informed and helping humans with neurodivergence who are queer, who exist in alternative relationship and identity spaces and being more connected to self and having a set of tools that we come up with as we go so that you or me, if I'm the one doing the work, can access and begin to communicate our lived experience Mm. in a way that encourages consent and safety and security. Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, hold on, by the way. Uh, I need to get your backstory. This is our first Zoom. Tell us about yourself, and then we're going to talk more about the work you're doing, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Um, I am a recovering software architect and business process engineer. I was employee 33, I think, 34 at Yahoo. Uh, So um, that influences me through a lot of the decisions we were making 30 years ago, culturally, about the internet, about this that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. How are we doing the machine learning? How are we building data? And we were at the time, really looking at this culturally. At at Yahoo, even though it was files, we were thinking media. Uh, And my master's degree is in critical theory. So I centered media quite a bit in my graduate studies. Life, liberty, the pursuit of everything, cut to 2020. Can I expose my, my scar? Please. Stage three breast cancer, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, And I had to do almost all of that in solo isolation just because of the timing and not having. But here's the thing. Mm -hmm. I was so well, I'm very proud of this. I don't do it like I'm a hero, but I'm really, really proud. I was so well resourced going into the experience that working with a trauma specialist throughout, obviously, I'm not in any way (laughs) going to try to hold my own hand through a two hour death, two year, pardon me, death process. Um, But now I I can definitively say the practices that I teach, the perspective that I hold, the everything that I bring to the table, um, the reason I'm alive. I would not be alive today if I had to learn any of the skills that I needed during that. So now I'm very much about, you should never have to learn all of the Latin about trauma in order to experience it. You should never need to learn. 
You should just be able to have a felt experience of safety and connection. And one of the things that happened during the pandemic, because I was forced into isolation, is I witnessed how trauma is being discussed on the internet. And I feel like I have something to add to the conversation that says, yeah, I know all the science. I'm hanging out with all the those guys, or almost all men. Practically speaking, let's make it sound and see how you respond. Mm-hmm. Let's breathe. Let's smile. Where is your elbow? I mean, it's so simple. And then people come and they say things like, this is the first time I've ever felt safe in my body. And I'm like, yes, because you remember that you have one. We are already, we don't need to achieve. We just need to remember. That's where I'm coming from. Ah. And then we can look to the future, but let's get here first. Let's be here together. Beautiful. Thank you. So now the work that you do, clearly you can work with anyone, anywhere. You got your certification, uh, trauma-informed sex educator as well, and counselor Mm -hmm. specializing uh, with neurodivergent individuals. And um, everything from trauma, relationships, what are some of the things that we could work with you on? Sure. Okay. Um, You can, we do work, uh, I want to speak generally, Uh, sexual awakening, right? Midlife sexual awakening to, oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. there's a whole body of pleasure that I could be experiencing that I'm not. How can we do that? Um, uh, This is a lot of midlife, but I'm in my 50s. Midlife, I just figured out that I'm gay. There was a lot of that during the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. Because we had time to reflect. Yeah. And now there's this whole bunch of people that are like, ooh, how do I bring this into my life? Mm -hmm. So we talk about that. Uh, Because I work with therapists, but I am not a therapist, I also have a lot more freedom to do things physically with folks. Everything is close. Don't get all excited. I am not that kind of educator. Mm -hmm. I can refer out, but but it can be a little bit more explicit. And I'm still bound by the same covenants of not doing harm, being responsible. I work for therapists. So I feel like I'm a safe bet because I've got people looking over my shoulder to make sure. Sure. And now I get to help other people learn how to do this through supervision, through learning how to be an educator in the realm of sexuality. Beautiful. If you would like to do that, we could talk about that. Sure. Let's go for it. Go ahead. Bring it on. want to be a certified sex educator? Yes. Teach me. Teach me. You know, well, here's the thing, Jill. Anybody can call themselves an educator. Anybody, any licensed clinician can label themselves a sex therapist. There's no magic rule. Didn't know that. Okay. Uh, and it's all okay because licensed therapists are highly trained. To be certified as an educator or therapist means that one, I already had a master's degree. I already had all the experience. Now it's even more specialized training. And a lot of what I've been doing is around um, the decolonization of the therapeutic relationship. This is speaking to um, class and privilege. Um, I think I've moved away from why do people come to me? Oh, why would you want to be certified? Yeah. So um, it, sex, sexuality, I don't know that there's much more personal than self. Yeah. And to be in a 
positive, affirming conversation about sexuality with anybody? Absolutely. To be able to be in that conversation with a person who has also learned from and been exposed to other perspectives, I am committed to withholding my judgment. I am committed to, you know, um, creating, co-creating a path with somebody that works for them, right? So, and I think that the certification process just keeps people in a conversation and the organizations I'm tied to, the International Association of Sexuality Professionals, that's where I do my supervision as a supervisor, and the American Association of Sexuality Educators, okay. this is with the APA. Okay. I have so much to do there because I'm not licensed, but I still have to do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm supervised through them. So just let's hang out. Let's have some fun. Let's learn actual body parts. Yeah. Let's talk about let's talk about the benefits of teaching your children and young ones proper anatomical terms because it will protect protect them from predators. Ah, never Just knowing the term for a penis and vulva as a child and knowing that adults will never ask you to keep a secret can disrupt predation. Just that it's backed by science. So let's let's get it neutrally on the table so that you can decide what fits in with your worldview. You can decide how it fits with your religious practice, yeah. your spirit, like whatever. But let's let's have the information and then decide what we're going to do with it. Awesome. Yeah, I'm a very open parent. My my kids are six and eight, the two little boys. That, oh, yeah. So we got, um, you know, it's funny. We live alone. I've always been single. So mm -hmm. my boys, I'm like raising them to be, people say boy girls. And I'm like, no. I'm like, my yeah. son gets me a tampon when I get my period. He Good. knows what a period is. He's yeah. seen me naked. He knows where the tampon goes and what it does because then why should I hide it? There's nothing. You you let him know that a woman you bleed, and I'm like, what's wrong with that? Why is it so scary? I mean, why are we so quiet about it? It just bothers me that people like judge me. Like, well, that's not appropriate. And I'm like, then it gets internalized, and we learn to feel ashamed about the one thing about us: our arousal energy, orgasm energy. Um, I'm speaking now to the the tantric system I'm in from China, orgasm energy is the only energy of creation, according to this, right? Because digestion, elimination, like all that is transforming or releasing or whatever. But orgasms create, create life. Yeah. And what these practices teach us to do is be in conscious control and relationship with all of our arousal energy, especially orgasm energy, so we can use it for self. And that's what I mean by these practices are life sustaining and the reason I'm alive. And the way they work for children is you just don't teach the sex part, but you teach the healing smile. Well, next time, maybe we can do some of these practices. We could even do the smile before we jump off, but it's a smile and six breaths. Okay. That's it. There's no genital anything mm -hmm. at the beginning. And I have seen adults come to me to learn how to have better sex and then come back and say, man, I taught my teenager that sound for anger. And like, it's completely changed how they're angry because now I go, are, are you angry? Yes, do the sound, boom. And th there's so much, it is like amazing how perfectly aligned this is with 
my understanding of the current research around trauma, around nervous system regulation, around neurodivergence, around chronic illness, chronic pain, and it's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, almost exclusively transmitted person to person. So this hasn't really been um, washed down the way a lot of yoga has in the United States. And that's all, all useful as well. I mean, I specialize in yin yoga mm. physically. So yeah, I, I'm just like, I get so passionate about how much I believe in these practices. I, I lose my my words a little bit, but they've been with me for about 30 years. Amazing. And that's why I'm saying I didn't have to learn them, right? Yeah. My trauma specialist did not recommend any somatic interventions the entire time I was in treatment. It was like grounding, moving stuff, but she would say, what are you doing for your body? And I'd say, you know, healing smiles, six healing sounds, doing microcosmic orbit, and I'm doing, okay, great, go. So when I was reflecting, I was like, well, she must think it works. She's changed her whole practice too. A lot of therapists are in response to the pandemic and adults, women figuring out that we're autistic and have ADHD and have been just stuffing that down our whole lives. We don't wanna be sick anymore. We don't wanna, you know, we wanna be authentic. And for some of us, that means we're kind of weird and that's okay. Beautiful. Absolutely. I love I love it. We are. We got to remind everyone how we can reach out to you, sweetheart. Yeah. Tell us the website, phone number, sure. contact information. K-A-Y-T-E-E-Z-E-E dot com. I also put up neurodivergent embodiment because it's easy. Yeah. And you can search for my name. Perfect. And, and when you come to the main website, you get a, um, a little healing a sound bath. I use a lot of sound in the somatic work that yeah, I do. I was going to ask about what's behind you specifically. Yeah, I did this hoping that you would ask. Oh, good. <laughs> well, it worked out. First thing I noticed when we signed on, I thought I saw the amethyst and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, and then I saw everything else. It looks like a sound bowl. I don't know what we call those chime things, yeah. but God, I know it's part of the um, sound healing process. I actually painted these because I have an issue with purity. I have lower register ones across the room. And then this is, I don't know if you can hear that with the, we might, but here's a um, metal. Did that go through? Mm-hmm. And this is really cool because these are heavy. And one of the ways we use these, and I, um, remotely, you would just find something heavy and then we would do it through sound. You can place these on the body, right? So after my mastectomy. Yeah. I placed this on my body and toned and look at my scar. I could barely see it before when you showed it to me. So, so I mean, obviously genetics had a lot to do with it, but I was also in a neutral relationship with the change in my body. I didn't try to love it. I couldn't, it was, nothing's going to be the same, right? But I was able to maintain like a positive regard is what Mm -hmm. they call it in psychology. And I believe um, that and me setting up my cancer to be a transformation and not a war. I think that's why I'm not resolving trauma from having cancer. I only had to resolve the medical trauma. Call me if you have cancer. Call me if your family member has cancer. Do you know how terrible it is to be a caregiver and to be in witnessed? I've done that. I've shepherded my father out. I've shepherded so many people out. 
And these practices, again, even if mm-hmm. I'm not doing them with a client, I'm able to stay present. Yep. And I'm able to, you become, you know how sometimes you feel so much empathy, you just kind of like melt with somebody else's mm-hmm. emotion? This is a way to shift to compassion. Okay. So that we can just be in a place of wishing less suffering Mm -hmm. rather than experiencing it and then wanting and needing it. So this is a very, uh, it's a virtue, right? It's in almost every religion. This is in Buddhism. I come from Tao. And it's one of the, the primary virtues is compassion, is this desire to experience less suffering and to create a world of less suffering. And I believe one way to do that is to learn what feels good ah, and to yes. give ourselves time to I'm thinking, that. I just had a double hernia surgery, so I have like a pillow here on my stomach. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm in pain. So if I look awkward to you and I keep moving around and shifting, because yeah, I got some, some pain, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And, and now the back hurts, but ooh. How's your PT going? That's a major oh, surgery. This? Well, the PT for my arm, you mean? Oh, no. Okay. You don't have to PT No, for there's no PT. And then it br- brings me to the fact that I learned something last week when they, they, it was a double groin hernia, and then they also took good stomach muscle, and they took it off my good stomach muscle, and then they grafted it to the bad stomach muscle, let alone the mesh. So I'm in just a lot of pain, but it's funny. No, I'm physical therapy for my arm. I have a tendon issue here that's deteriorating. That's Let what I thought you meant. You smile, and we'll smile to your hernia. Okay. And everybody watching can smile to okay. their headache or whatever. It's so simple. We okay. could do it in a minute. Is that possible? Yeah, we have time. Please, okay, cool. sure. So you're smiling to your hernia. Um, I'm going to smile to my ongoing hot flashes that my body is committed to, even though it is quite done with menopause. And you bring the tip of your tongue to the ridge behind your upper teeth. Relax everything else in your mouth. Gentle smile to the lips and pretend like you care about yourself and smile to yourself. My eyes close when I do that. And as this was first presented to me the by my teacher, Mentek Chia, the it's the same kindness we would offer a wounded animal or a child. And when we offer it to self, do you feel a difference? Just smiling to something doesn't need to change at all. Am I supposed to be still be pushing on the, the tongue to the, oh, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm doing it right. So I'm more worried about what am I doing? Cause my don't eyes are closed. It's, okay. It's the, it's the mind. It's the, you know, because it, um, if we hear about the mind body connection, yeah, the smile literally connects you to your body. Okay. Some science behind that, the science of the vagus nerve, there's a whole realm called polyvagal, P-O-L-Y-V-A-G-A-L, polyvagal theory, polyvagal science. These, these were the guys, these are my guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all, most all white men, so there's huge bias, but um, polyvagal theory, the theory of the um, vagus nerve is very much about um, balancing hyper and hypo arousal so that we stay in that Goldilocks zone, Okay. that um, window of tolerance. And one of the ways that we can know that we're safe and secure, um, the theory says, this, um, this is neuroscience, um, one of the ways we know that is through what's called the social engagement system, which Stephen Porges Thousands of years later, after the Taoists figured out, mm-hmm. Stephen Porter says, oh, children recognize that because we smile at them. And I'm like, yes. Ah. 
So, so there are the, the prefrontal cortex where all of our higher order reasoning and everything happens um, is there's a relationship between the eyes and the prefrontal cortex. So the smiling, bringing, um, what was Tyra Banks's smile? Do you remember America's Next Top Model with the smiling eyes of Tyra? To do that towards ourselves. Then we're activating this social engagement network, big scary science terms. We're reminding ourselves that we can feel safe and secure in our own bodies, which is not necessarily reasonable for everybody, right? Like I didn't feel safe when I was in treatment for cancer, but I just, I kept practicing that I could, right? And then over time, it becomes like muscle memory and you just, I, just, I find myself just falling into it in a, in a, just so easy. And I have to tell you, the orgasms are amazing. I'm celebrating. I have the best sex of my life right now. And it's really giving me vitality. And mm, so now I'm like, yes, See, let's have somebody over. I'm I, ready. I, I totally, I'm, I'm 45. I know I yeah. have low testosterone, but I lost my sex drive, I think years ago. I, I being a single parent living alone, I had a boyfriend uh, for two years and then another for two years, and they quickly find out, well, you don't have much time. You don't make time for me. I'm like, I don't. I, I, no, I choose a, me, my kids. I said, and I know most, mo not all, but most men have a higher desire of sex. I'm going to say that's probably factual. I got to Google that. But I think, now tell me the truth. Taxi. Responsive sex drive. and spontaneous. Mm. I think those are the words that are okay. used that there is a the one way of having a sexual response cycle is to be that, that's you know typically assigned to the woman right that we need to be wine and dined and you have to kind of go into it and spontaneous is oh my gosh i see something i'm ready to go yeah and um i'm not saying that's what's in your dynamic it's a really common chasm that couples need to find a bridge because it, it can be frustrating on both ends, right? The, the person with the spontaneous desire experiences rejection, and the person with responsive desire experiences coercion, and both, though, really, 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 truly want to connect. Got it. So you might, depending upon what is bringing that into your relationship, it might be outside of my scope, because I'm not a therapist. And Let's see what's happening with the body. Let's see how you guys are breathing together. Let's see how you're set. How do you set it up? Yeah. How are you, you know, make it a game. Let's make it fun. And um, yeah. And then if you want to have sex, have sex. And if you don't, you don't. But if it's an adventure, if we're in a playground, yeah. if it's not an assignment, you know, um, and the, the wounds that we all carry, we carry in the youngest parts of ourselves and that's the part that gets activated in relationship right so true so let's let's give that young aspect of self room to play knowing that we're grown-ass adults and you children trump everything so i don't know who you were dating but thumb down on that exactly line. but then i'm like i'm feeling bad should i have more of a sex drive what should i be doing but then i'm like now i'm in a stage where it's just different right now so maybe that'll come back to life one day but like i feel like yeah. people sometimes prioritize things in life when need be and i don't i don't mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not missing sex so much right now some people would be i'm not it's just yeah. so am i okay to be this way like non-sexual so. i mean <laughs> i'm i would be considered in the asexual, asexual category, category. Actually, there you go. I'm, I'm most 
accurately labeled demisexual. So I am a weird creature because like I have had sex in public to teach people safe sex. Got it. Nobody's going to go. They'll go to a sex class. They're not going to go to a condom class, right? Mm -hmm. And I genuinely more often than not need to know somebody for years before I will be physically intimate with them. And I've been celibate for several years now because I've been tending to major health crisis and I feel really okay in my celibacy. Mm -hmm. And when I'm ready, then I'll be ready or maybe not. I don't mind. And you know, that's fine. So if I'm sex positive, sex educator, flipping supervisor, single celibate, then anybody can be. The question is, is it enlivening? Is it healthy? Is it bringing your life into whatever it is that you want to be experienced? Because it's all a tool. Yeah. See, you're educating me. Thank you so much. All right. We have a lot more to talk about. We're out of time for today, but well, next time. So glad I got to see you here on Zoom. Uh, Katie, remind us how we can reach you again. K-A-Y-T-E-E-Z-E-E.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right. Pleasure seeing you. Looking forward to the next time we connect, okay? All right. Thanks so much, hon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouth full, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council.